0: Dedicated to looking at the world through gospel glasses, my name is Nick Simonovich, and I will be your host for this midweek message. Just a reminder: Maddie has not left the podcast; he's just taken a short little break as he gets some other work accomplished. So, in the meantime, for the next couple of weeks, you'll still have to tune into me, and hopefully, you'll be edified by the content that we put out. This midweek message, I want to talk about the church, just as sort of a little bit of an introduction, but more importantly, who is building the church? And I want to bring this up because Scripture talks about the church in a few different ways. It talks about it as a building, uh, a body, um, and that's why I want to talk about it as a building, because there is great metaphor brought up by the description of the church as a building And there's some great lessons we can learn from that as well. And that's going to play itself out in great importance into how we understand our role in the church and how we are to understand our role in the world as members of this church building. So the first thing we should ask in this idea of the church as a building is, who's building it? Are we the ones building it? Are we the ones that are chiseling away or laying the foundation, putting up the cornerstone that's necessary for it to lay straight and true and be built upon? Or is there somebody else building the church? And I think if we are going to go anywhere to understand this properly, we need to go to scripture. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus, as he is discussing with Peter, this very thing He tells him that he, Jesus, will build the church. That is crucial to understand for our discussion because it is not us who build the church. And this might be a common understanding or thought that we have nowadays for ourselves as Christians is that we are the ones who are building the church. We are the ones who are going out sharing the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Christ. But... If we look to scripture, we can see that it's actually Christ who is building his church. That's what he says in verse 18. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So upon something, something there is being built upon, but it is Christ who is building the church. He is the chief architect, you could say. And since he is building his church... He must also be the head of it. He must be the one who is in charge of its progress, of how the foundation would be laid, what kind of building materials would be brought to the project, and how it will ultimately be completed. Just going through a quote from Martin Luther here, we can see as he talked about the church, he said, Over the church of the communion of God, Christ alone is to be head and no creature whatsoever. A bishop, pastor, or preacher should not be called the head of the church, but a minister and steward. And that's from Luther's, I guess a book that I have called What Luther Says. Very big book and just a bunch of different quotes and ideas, thoughts that Luther had along his journey as a Christian just to better understand what his thought process was on certain topics, different uh, theological concepts as well. And this is what he talks about when he talks about who must be the head of the church. And it can't be pastors, preachers, evangelists, ministers. They're only to be called ministers and stewards because there is another head which they are to submit to. So if we have this understanding that the church is a building... Well, all good buildings have foundations. And in the past, well, if you were to build a building, you probably would have built it out of stone. You would first start off with a cornerstone. And this cornerstone was to be the chief object, the most important object in the building process. Because this stone is to be perfectly square, not a fraction off on any side, no imperfections, so that the building as it is being constructed constructed would be square and true and not needing adjustment over the course of the building process to try and hide all the inevitable outcomes of a poorly constructed cornerstone. So this cornerstone, when you think about the building process, is the very first part of it. And then from there, you'll be able to build properly and to the best possible outcome if that cornerstone is true and good. So we have now understanding that there's a building and there is the importance of a perfect cornerstone to be the starting point. Christ, as we have already discovered, is the head of the church. He is the one who is commissioning the building of it. He's also the one who is building it. He's bringing it to pass. But scripture also calls Christ the cornerstone of the church. And that's something we can glean from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, where it talks when Paul's talking to the Ephesian church, he's talking about how we are united in Christ, that we are one in Christ, that we used to be alienated from God, but now we have been reconciled to Him in Christ. And as we get to chapter 2 verse 19 and 20, he says, "So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the same household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone." So Christ is the cornerstone. He is the starting place. He is the one which has authority and direction, all authority and direction. So we can take that idea and say, well, if we don't have Christ as the cornerstone of this building, we're not going to have a structure suitable to God. We're not even going to have a foundation because God is the source of all, just as the building has its source in that cornerstone. What's interesting about the text in Ephesians is it goes on to tell us just before it indicates that Christ is the cornerstone, is that the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation built off of the cornerstone, which means that the teaching we find in scripture is the foundation. Because God is that source of truth, he then chose men in both what we can say is the Old Testament and the New Testament, to be vessels to proclaim the truth to all of God's people. This word is found in many different forms. There's very different, varying genres in scripture, but there's one overarching message in them all, and it all points to the redemptive narrative of God since the fall of Genesis chapter 3, which ultimately leads to a beautiful marriage supper of the bride and groom, when Christ the cornerstone returns to complete to a complete the church and enjoy a marriage banquet, even you could say a feast. So we have Christ as the cornerstone, we have the apostles and the prophets as the foundation. What's important that we understand about a foundation is that it's only laid once. It is not repeated time and time and time again. So when we look to scripture... That is the foundation. We have Christ as the cornerstone, the source of all, but we also have scripture, which is God's word to men to indicate his plan of redemption. From that point, so once we have that cornerstone and then we have that foundation of the apostles and the prophets, we can then build upon that. We can build Ourselves up into the holy dwelling place of God. But if we don't have the cornerstone, if we don't have Christ as the source of truth, if we don't have the foundation of all of Scripture to be built upon, that solid, firm foundation, we are going to be a mess. We are not going to be able to be a building suitable to God. So the only way that we can truly be members or part of this building as Christians is if we are building upon the sure foundation of God's word. First Peter, so Peter's first epistle in chapter two, verses eight or four to eight, he talks about how we are living stones and these stones are being placed onto the foundation and even upon many other stones which came before. We can think of that as being those who from the fall, being Adam and Eve, all the way to the consummate glory when Christ returns. These are all people, stones being placed upon the foundation for this beautiful church building, as it were, which is going to bring glory to God. In verse 4 of chapter 2 in Peter's first epistle, he says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This text is so important as we understand the idea of the church as a building. Because in it, we are seeing that we are living stones being put into the building. We're not put there to sit and do nothing, to be idle, but we are to be active. And the way that we are placed into this building is through faith. Not faith in ourselves, not faith in something we do. Not faith in a religious system, but faith in Christ. This text in 1 Peter talks about how It's an honor for us who believe because we are going to be placed into this spiritual house of God to offer spiritual sacrifices which will be acceptable to God through Christ. So as we live obedient lives in faith, offering all to God, we are accepted because we are united to Christ. If we, on the other hand, reject Christ, if we are like those in first century uh, Israel who heard the message of Christ and said, that's not my Messiah. That's not the one that I'm going to trust in for my redemption, for my salvation to be reconciled to God in. That's not my Savior. Then verse 7 is that great warning. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, it says, because they disobey the word. They reject the cornerstone. They reject the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and they seek to make their building stand on sinking sand. That's why that parable that Jesus talks about, the the one who builds his house on the rock and the one who builds his house on the beach sand, When the same storm comes against it, which one is going to stand? It's impossible for the one on the sand to stand strong because it doesn't have a foundation which can secure it in place. Not only that, if it's not built upon the rock, it's not going to be able to withstand even the slightest breezes at time because that can begin to shift it into the sand and take away its integrity so that it will crash and fall and break into a million pieces. So when we think about this once again, it is only through faith in Christ that we are brought to be part of the body of Christ, the building, the building, the church. And it's necessary that we understand that this only comes about through the preaching of the word about Christ. Romans ten seventeen is a text we need to remember for this because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If we do not hear the full testimony of Christ given to us from scripture that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and we deserve the wrath of God for all eternity because we have sinned against him, but the only way we can be reconciled is through what Christ has done, if we do not hear that message that God is merciful and gracious and kind and will reconcile us to himself through the work of his son, if we reject that and go our own way, we cannot expect to be part of this eternal building which God is doing. We can only expect to be separated from him, cast under his wrath for all eternity with no hope, of ever being released. We will never be engrafted into that building if we do not, when we hear the message here and now, turn from our sins, repent of our sins, and trust in Christ. So if Christ is the cornerstone, or I should say, since Christ is the cornerstone, the word of God is the foundation, and we people, Christians, are being added to the structure day by day through the truth revealed in Scripture, who decides what happens with that structure this sunday in just four short days we'll once again have that privilege to remember the beginnings of the protestant reformation when martin luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in wittenberg or in wittenberg this was the beginning call to return to the sources you know that odd fontes return to the sources to the sources was the call of the reformation and the reformation was not trying to be something new or try something new, but it was a call to return to reform to that which was stable and secure, which would only have Christ as the cornerstone and the apostles and prophets as the foundation. It was a call to return to scripture with the authority of God over the church and its practices. So this logically led to a question in relation to those who are in leadership of the church to Christ, because many claimed to be of God, but had no resemblance to the truth found in Scripture. There was many people, popes, bishops, who took to themselves the name of God, but had no fruit bearing in their lives. And this kind of leads us in the direction of trying to understand, well, who makes up the church then? Theologians talk about the visible church and the invisible church. There are those who are seen to be part of the church. That would be the visible church, which you can see with your eyes. But just being part of a visible church does not necessarily mean that you're part of the invisible church, which is the elect of all ages. When you look to scripture, if you want to really grasp this idea of the church visible and invisible, You can go to the parable of the sower that Jesus gave in Matthew 13. That parable is incredibly helpful in understanding this because when Jesus tells us this parable, it is to show us that there is true believers and false believers. There are those who make a showing in the flesh that they're true to God, but there are also those who are actually true to God. This parable... In Matthew 13, it starts at verse 1, goes down to verse 9, and we should read it just so we can get a little context here. Verse 1 says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell upon a path, and the birds came down and devoured them. which Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of the parables, is so important for us to understand. Because Jesus tells us here that the seed is going to go out, the proclamation of Christ and his redemptive work is going to go out into the world. And it's going to produce different results. The goal of the seed is to produce the last result each and every time. That it would fall on good soil and produce grain, produce Uh, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, that we would also have faith in Christ. But there are three other instances that Jesus mentions here where the seed is sown. Sometimes it is quickly picked up and removed. Jesus explains that the evil one will come and snatch away this word that's been sown in their heart. This is the stuff that's sown along the path. The stuff that's on the rocky ground is the one who hears the word and receives it with joy immediately. But because he has no root in himself, he endures just for a little bit. But when persecution and tribulations come, he falls away. And then there's that seed that falls amongst the thorns. And that one there is talking about how the cares of the world and the seedfulness of riches choke riches choke out the word. And ultimately that seed proves unfruitful. So there's these three instances where you can make, the word goes out, you can make a showing in the flesh for at least two of these instances where you're not just immediately hardened and stubbornly fall away, but in two of these instances where the seed can be sown, it can begin to make a transformation in the heart or at least an outward transformation and you fall away because you do not have the good soil for that word and that seed to be sown into. So if we are to understand that there is going to be within the sowing of seed, both good results and bad results in that there's good results in that people will come to faith, bad results in the seed being sown into hearts, which will not produce repentance. If the visible church doesn't here now take its cues from scripture, from who, from God, whose word he has given us, then We can be like Israel of old and we can become a straying church when we look to somebody else or something else to lead and guide us. This is important because this word and those who are preaching it, if they're not transformed by it, are going to lead us away because they are not grasping with true faith the word of God and therefore they can lead us away, even cloaked in a type of Christianity, which would give you the impression this is a true church. They're teaching us the word. They're opening up scripture. But when we examine it in terms of how God tells us to examine those who are preaching the word and what the word says, we can see that it's not lining up. And this is what happened in the time of the reformation. It's been happening ever since the creation of the world. When you think about even when Eve is deceived by Satan, Satan takes God's word and twist it, just gives it a little twist. And she doesn't know how to answer it in such a way which would keep her faithful to God. So there's even today a constant battle. We are, we are in a war as church members, church leaders. We are those who are seeking to maintain Christ as head of the church because there are those who are not only out of outside of her, but even in her midst, who are trying to take her captive, like Satan did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. And if we are not training or exercising our minds in Scripture, we can quickly be tossed to and fro by every passing doctrine of men, even if they are cloaked in some form of Christianity. But like Christ said, there are those who are like whitewashed tombs, but are full of dead man's bones. And Jesus tells us this very thing in Matthew chapter 7, that we need to beware that there are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. He says that in Matthew 7, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. And then he gives us just an, uh, an analogy here. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So Christ gives us a warning here that we need to be aware of false prophets. We know that from the testimony of the New Testament, When you look at the book of Acts and then you go into the epistles, Paul's epistles, even into the book of Revelation, there are those who are coming into the church with a false gospel. And if that false gospel is believed, then that church will become apostate. They will become those who do not truly have Christ as their head. This is something Paul talks about as he's preaching to the Ephesians in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he talks about that we need to, or 28 and 29, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will men arise, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. We today must heed these same warnings because we're not immune to false teachers who may come in to upset the church of God. Here in Canada and around the world, there have been many who have twisted scripture to say that the most loving thing to do in our day and age is to separate from one another. That we need to stay apart to show our love for one another. And many have bought this lie, hook, line, and sinker. But Paul says we need to pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock. So if we are going to be good students of Scripture, if we want to be those stones, those living stones put into the church of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ as that cornerstone, we need to start being more mindful of what is happening in our day and age. We cannot put a blindfold over our eyes and pretend like there is no war that is being waged in our day and age, that we are totally okay and there is no threats coming to the church of God. To do this, to have this frame of mind, is foolishness. And we must not be foolish because God has given us a spirit of wisdom. He has given us the eyes to see that our hearts would be enlightened by the word of God to understand that there is a spiritual war going on, which we need to be careful to distinguish between truth and lies. We need to train ourselves up in what Scripture says so that we would be not be taken captive by the wiles of the devil, by those whom he has sent into the world to draw men after himself. Paul said in Acts there that he he was for three years ceasing night or day to admonish everyone with tears. What we, What he finishes with the Ephesians elders there is he says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. That is a wonderful prayer and petition to God that he entrusted the Ephesians not to himself. He was the one who brought them the message, but he was not the one who was going to keep them in that message. We have to remember that as ourselves as well, that Though we may lead others to Christ through the preaching of his word, it is Christ who will keep them. It is ultimately Christ who converts them. We are mere stewards of God, vessels for him, which proclaim the glories and excellencies of him, and then the results are up to God himself. He will bring in those living stones to his building, which are transformed through the preaching of the word, to be active and useful, to bring spiritual sacrifices to God, which is our duty as Christians. So when we think about this again, the church is a building. It is a building with Christ as the cornerstone, perfect, without any flaw. The foundation is the word of God that that's given to us through the testimony of Scripture by the apostles and the prophets. And us, as we take hold of Scripture, as God, by the Holy Spirit, takes this word and. Plants it deep in our hearts. We become those or those stones in this building, which will culminate into a glorious building for God, for His honor, for His glory. We cannot allow anybody inside or outside of the church to pull us away from the one truth which can save us, which may bring us something new, something exciting, something which will tantalize our flesh and feed our desires we must lay hold of Scripture, hold fast to it, and reject any authority, whether in the church or out of the church, which would lead us away from Christ. This may be costly, but it is a cost which we must be willing to pay if we want to remain faithful to Christ. He told us that there would be sufferings, trials, tribulations, which we would have to go through as Christians. We have to figure out as Christians Not so much what the cost will be of following him. It can certainly be death. That's the worst men can do to us. But we need to count the cost of what it means to be faithful to him here and now so that we don't compromise the word, compromise our faith, and find ourselves straying away from him and rightly deserving his chastisement. We know we fail and sin every day, but we need to lay hold of Christ. Look to him who is the author and perfecter of our faith and persevere to the end, holding fast to his word, having Christ as a head, him who has perfect authority, who gives us perfect gifts each and every day and to whom we can go to and ask for wisdom so that we would know how to live as Christians in this present evil age. But that'll do it today for our midweek message here on The Great Exchange wanna thank you all for tuning in. If you have any questions, send us an email, thegreatestchangepodcast at gmail.com. You can also head over to Facebook or Instagram and you can send us a message directly on one of those social media platforms. We know as well, and I just wanted to finish off with this, that there's been a lot of issues with Spotify and getting our feed, our, our podcast feed on it. I apologize, we're still working that out with them. We hope that that will be fixed soon. But in the meantime, if you don't have an Apple phone, if you if you don't have Apple Podcasts, you can still go on Stitcher. You can also go to OwlTail, and of course, our website, TheGreatExchange.ca, which has all of our episodes there for you to enjoy. But that'll do it for this midweek message. And as we say at the every end of every single episode, it is finished.